We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, friends. It is Kirk Henderson and Josh Bowe. We're coming to you on Monday, December 7th at about 8.30 at night Central Time. It's uh, Josh and Kirk. How are you, Josh? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? You know, I I, I was whining in pre-show because I'm just tired and <laughs> I can't, like, I can't be tired. I, I'm looking at the calendar. We have 16 days until the season starts. <laughs> uh, all right, I guess I can I could be more descriptive about how I'm doing. Uh, my pink eye <laughs> is starting to recede, which is fantastic. And talking about being tired, how stupid is it to get pink eye right before our death march of a season is about to start? I like it. Uh, I like it better than like right at the start of the season. You know, it's much better. Yes. It's much better. Particularly, you know, you haven't left the house in months. And, you know, the nope. fact that you, you, you got yourself ill is pretty funny. Well, you know, speaking of all this, what what made what made me want to talk to you tonight is at about midnight last night, I get a message <laughs> from Josh in our Slack, and he's like, "My article's done." And you know, for those of you that don't know, we have um, we've recruited six new staffers. We, Josh and I, have spent the week answering questions, and you know, not really getting much of a chance to write. Josh told me he was going to write a pregame call or a, a preseason column. And I just kind of assumed, you know, it's going to be a, a Josh column, you know, 12 to 1500 words and deep thoughts on the season. Well, I was right about the deep thoughts on the season, but I didn't really understand the depth of which that you were thinking about the season to which you turned in a magnum opus. And I'm going to link <laughs> it on the podcast. We're going to talk about it at length because you know, I'm sure some of the same ideas will be covered. But this was really like, number one, it was really good. Uh, it's the biggest questions the Mavericks need to answer this season. And and number two, you know, I just didn't know you were this, you were this like in depth on some of the stuff that's going on. So, so like, let's, <laughs> I was let's holding that on you. 
yeah so let's talk about one why were you holding out on me for weeks and weeks and weeks and and number two um you know so so how long has this been been like germinating uh, well, to be fair, every time when I've been saying in Slack the last like two or three weeks where I was like, I have this column I want to write. This is kind of what I've been thinking about. So I've really been thinking about it for like two weeks and then I just couldn't get around to it because, you know, I can unscroll the parchment and, and list out a various bunch of bullshit <laughs> reasons that aren't good reasons. Uh, and then I was going to try to have it done last week and then I got pink eyed. I didn't really want to stare at a computer screen for any longer than I needed to. Got my antibacterial drops, and it was like I got blessed with holy water or something, and it revitalized me. And so I just just did it. I just put them all down. It's the stuff I've been thinking about basically since we knew what the roster was going to look like. So, you know, after, you know, around Thanksgiving time, you know, I think the Mavericks were pretty much done with their offseason, maybe a little after that. Um, mm-hmm. So... I've just been thinking about it since then, and I just finally got a chance to sit down and get it all out there. Well, let's just kind of go through these kind of one at a time, and then we'll talk a little bit about what sort of the plan is until right up to the season. But so your first big question was what time, what type of team do the Mavericks want to be? Like that's nearly an article in and of itself. But I want to ask you because you, you get into to a lot of depth about how the Mavericks just have to improve defensively. My question to you is, do you think that the Mavericks can afford to step back any offensively? Um, I think they can, because I mean, when you're the the greatest offense of all time, I think you give yourself a little wiggle room. It just depends on how much they improve on the other end. Uh, yeah. They have to, they basically, if they, if they, if the offense takes a hit, but it's still top 10, that's fine um you know that's basically all you need to be a finals contender but if the defense is still like 15 14 in that area then that's probably you know they're i mean that's not i don't think that's good uh i don't know if that's enough for them but also i don't know how weird this season's gonna be and and i don't know if you know if things could get get weird with the numbers and rankings and and, and what a what a great offense offensive number or defensive number last season is not necessarily going to translate over to this season. Um, so I'll have to see, but they need it. I mean, it's a gamble. I don't even know if it's a gamble though, because I think the main point of this is yes, they're do they're They brought in more defenders and yes, their biggest off season acquisition is known for his defense. And he has a good stellar defensive reputation. He's not chump change on offense. So I think that there is a good possibility for them to have their cake and eat it too, so to speak. Uh, Because I don't really, you know, I know Seth Curry was fantastic in Dallas and he was such a great fit. But at the end of the day, he was a bench guard uh, that started because the Mavericks just didn't have a lot of options on the perimeter. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. So that's no discredit to Seth Curry, who's going to do great in Philadelphia, but he's also going to be what Philadelphia's fifth or sixth best player. Um, ideally, like if that season goes correctly, where last season you could argue Seth Curry was the Mavericks fourth best player. Uh, in some or, cases third, it was like night yeah, in and night Sunday, out. He was just yeah. really, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and that's just very difficult to do when, you know, the he's a six, one guard that, Really, really tries on defense. You know, I think his defensive 
I, I, you know, he's not a great defender in the aggregate, but in terms of his effort and I think what he tries to do, um, I think he was more than solid in that regard. But it's just kind of the step you have to take. Like you, you downgrade a little bit on the shooting, but you're not getting like a non-shooter. You're not getting a project shooter. You're not getting someone you're going to have to like teach how to shoot. You're getting someone who knows how to shoot, who had maybe, you know, an off season and a, uh, an off season for him in a, in a weird situation in Philly. And it, it just feels like that's the risk they need to take. Um, and I, I don't know. I think, I think it's going to work out for them. Cause I, I just think that Richardson is going to hit enough shots to where they're not going to see too much of a dip uh, on the offensive end. Well, before we pivot to Richardson specifically, one of the things I've been thinking about now that I've made peace with like Willie Cauley Stein being on the team and you're looking at where the Mavericks are starting from in uh, training camp and to take kind of a, a silver lining approach to what's happening with Chris Tapps Porzingis being out, I feel fairly confident the Mavericks are going to start Willie Cauley Stein at center and then roll out, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith probably guarding a lot of fours depending on matchups, maybe, maybe Kleba now and again, depending on if they're playing like the Pelicans or something, but you know, then they're going to have Tim Hardaway Jr., and then they're going to have Jason Richard, or I'm sorry, J- Josh Richardson and Luka Doncic. And that is a, for a regular season team where you're playing every other day for, you know, a month until KP gets back. Because I really don't think they're going to rush KP back at all, particularly, particularly if they get off to either a hot or a rough start. Um I really, the the way you look at like the big picture of what kind of team they want to be, I think the Mavericks have, we're not really going to know who they're going to be because it's, it's going to be a, kind of a survival of the fittest season. And, and it, you know, if Porzingis comes in a little rusty, I think they're going to give him time to play into shape. So the Mavericks have a, a, a bit of a, um, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. They're, they have a lot of room to grow into the team they want to be because they have these pieces who, you know, Colley Stein got brought in after Powell was hurt. You know, Powell's coming back from injury. Like there's just a lot of, of options, you know, surrounding Luca. And one of the, the constant talking points from you and I over the years is that once they had Dirk Nowitzki on the roster, looking back, once they figured it out after Steve Nash left, the Maverick front office essentially like rotated pieces to see what fit. And that is a lot of what this is when you compare to last season. Uh, Tim Hardaway is obviously an interesting contract, but like the pieces, they they could still be top three off on offense. And if they bump to even like twelfth or tenth defensively, if they manage that somehow, you know, and I think the main way they manage that is is Josh Richardson becomes the the point of attack defender, and and. It, there's there's just a lot of optionality. It, it's so nice to have Luca as the fallback <laughs> because there's sort of like an established floor with what the Mavericks are going to be able to do. And I, you know, just thinking about like what kind of team they want to be, they have a lot of flexibility to figure that out. And I think that's really nice. Yeah, and that's kind of the goal with the all those wing acquisitions because they couldn't mm-hmm. do that last season. Like, um, they <laughs> they're they're their flexibility last season was they could go like really small with like guards and juice the offense a lot, but otherwise Mm -hmm. they just didn't have that flexibility. I mean, now, you know, Richardson and James Johnson and Josh green. And if Tyler Bay plays, if Wes Uwundu plays, that's a lot of, you know, guys that are between six, five and six, eight and six, nine that can guard 
um, theoretically, you know, with Bay and, and Josh Green. So that's just something they've never had before. So they can finally do the thing that we've been asking them to do since, I don't know, the Warriors really start go to, uh, gaining prominence in 2015 is they can finally do the small ball that's not actually small lineups. Right. Uh, where before the Mavericks small ball lineup was, uh, you know, you'd have a guy like Seth Curry in the lineup or you'd have a J.J. Barea or a Brunson or something like that, you know, some uh, a guard that is, you know, under 6'5". Now they can theoretically play a lineup that has a lot of two-way potential and the shortest guy on the floor is Josh Richardson, 6'5". Which is pretty uh, which, wild to me. R- right, which is what they're building to. And the thing that I asked in the piece is I'm very curious about is are the Mavericks committed to that type of lineup? Because last season, up until January 21st, which is the day Dwight Powell got hurt, uh, their six most played lineups all featured two big men, you know, the combination of Powell, Przingis, or, or Maxi. Um, and then after Powell got hurt, obviously their most used lineup was the Persingas at the five, Finney Smith at the four, and then, you know, Curry, Hardaway, and Luca. Uh, but then the next four lineups after that were all Persingas Kleba lineups, which is two bigs again. So as much as it makes sense to start the season and, and to give this team the identity of we're only going to play one true big man on the floor, floor ideally, you know, save for matchups, like you said, like a New Orleans or, or another beefy team. Uh, but I wonder if they're going to be, you know, fully committed to that because they kind of did it last year. You know, I don't think they would have gotten to that point in the regular season, at least. They might have gotten to it in the playoffs, but I don't think they would have done that in the regular season if Powell didn't get hurt. Uh, so they were kind of forced, They, you know, they the injury forced their hand into kind of doing that Przingis at the five lineup. So we'll see. Like, it makes total sense for the opening night lineup to be Richardson, Luca, Hardaway, Finney Smith, and whatever big they want to play until Przingis is uh, ready to jump back into the lineup. Uh, but it wouldn't shock me if the Mavericks don't want Przingis when he gets back playing 30 minutes a night at the five every single every other day, uh, and they want to maybe start him next to Powell or, or Kleba just so they have another body that can absorb fouls and play you know uh, in the paint a little bit more and save Przingis' legs. So I'm just very curious. You know, I just don't. I do, they could go either way, and like you said, they have a lot of flexibility. So we'll just see what happens. Well, we'll come back to Porzingis a little bit later. The The next question that you have in your post is, is, and I alluded to this briefly, is is you simply ask, how good is Josh Richardson? Now, uh, one of our new contributors, uh, Iztok, uh, turned in a lengthy profile of, of, Josh Rich- or of Josh Richardson today that I'm going to hold until next week just to kind of let your piece breathe. And I was editing it tonight, and man, there's just a wide variety of outcomes for, for <laughs> Richardson. And I, I tend to be bullish based off of the Miami season, but last year was a little, a little concerning. And I don't, I think if, if, if the pieces connect, he works in a way where his, you know, $12 million contract looks like an absolute steal. And he becomes part of an off season acquisition for, you know, look, it's it's the same way the Mavericks got Porzingis in the sense of they got him a year ahead of time, so they didn't have to fight, and you know, they had a year to sell him. And so, I think that that this really has the opportunity to look like an an excellent acquisition. The more we peer into it, but the flip side is he's not he's not the he's a good he's a good three point shooter. The question is, you know, where he likes to shoot from and where he's gotten shots is not really where the Mavericks have succeeded. So it's kind of 
it's kind of hard to to gauge where he's he's gonna fit. Does that make any sense? Yeah, uh, he took a crap ton of mid range shots last season. Um, he took 150 mid range attempts. Uh, what did I write in the piece? He shot 174 pull up jumpers last season. Only 36 of those were three pointers. So uh, he really likes the mid range game, and the Mavericks, you know, the last three or four years have just not been a mid range team. You know, they're fully embraced the threes, rim, free throws, uh, modern NBA philosophy uh, on offense. So it, you're right. It's, it, it could be a pro and a con. Cause obviously you don't want Richardson's diet to just be a bunch of ineffective, inefficient shots. But on the flip side, uh, he shot 48% on those 150 mid range attempts last season, which is a really like a really good number. It's still, you know, not necessarily a Dirk number uh, in terms of efficiency. And would you rather him do that than shoot threes? But it's pretty damn cl- I mean, when you get close to 50% on a mid-range uh, yeah. shot, that's, I mean, that's a good shot. It doesn't matter. Um, so the, I think what the key for the Mavericks is, is kind of like what they did with Przingis because Przingis also had a really wacky uh, shot profile in New York because he just, you know, he didn't really get any good coaching in New York, was kind of a wasteland when he was there. Uh, obviously Richardson was on a better team in Philadelphia. Um, but the, the spacing was just so cramped with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris and Al Horford. Uh, they're just, he was expected to be one of their best shooters. And I don't know if that's the role, you know, he probably needs another guy next to him to uh, space the floor. And, you know, when this team is firing at all cylinders, Przingis and Hardaway Jr. project to be, you know, better shooters than him. So if he's the third best shooter in your lineup, I think that's a much better fit for his uh, game. And then hopefully the Mavericks can kind of just get a good balance with the mid-range stuff. Because, uh, Kirk, I think you'll probably agree, like, if you think about the Mavericks' clutch time woes, uh, it basically was because you played Luka next to four other guys that just basically stood and watched. Um, as much as we love the breakout seasons from Maxi and Dorian and Hardaway Jr. and all of that, you know, outside of Brunson, Burke, and Seth, the Mavericks don't ha- didn't have anyone last season that could dribble into a good shot or a clean shot. It was basically just Luca. Uh, so in, the, in crunch time, it's Luca dribbling against you know a set defense, uh, four guys kind of standing and watching, not a lot of movement. So Richardson gives them just some versatility and gives them some variety in how they can score and you know we've been watching the playoffs for a while and even with this three-point revolution like the teams that win playoff games have the option it's not that they rely on the mid-range but it's just it's just in their bag when these playoff defenses get so good that they can at least you know bust it out and Richardson's very comfortable in that regard so I think he could be a huge help for the Mavericks crunch time offense because he can be that kind of secondary shot creator that Luca really needs. Uh, so it's not just all on his shoulders. Uh, but then the flip side is they got to make sure that that's like, <laughs> he doesn't go overboard uh, yeah. and they need to coax him into shooting uh, more threes, especially that pull up three number. I mean, that is, that is hilarious that he shot 174 pull up jumpers and only 36 of them were threes. I bet you, uh, the Mavericks coaching staff and Rick Carlisle will try to uh, make those numbers a little closer uh, would be my prediction. Right. No, it's, it makes you wonder just how clogged, like it'd be fun to go look at some of his mid range shots and see how clogged the lane was. And mm-hmm. like, that was like a decision of last resort more than a, a, uh, you know, 
kind of predetermined thing that he made his mind up as part of a play. Because I mean, the Sixers' offense was garbage. Like yeah. I, Ben Ben Simmons is a talented player. Embiid um, wants to play a different style of basketball. I mean, it's just it's a really miscast role for him. So I'm 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 looking forward to him. Um, yeah, and uh, one more thing, I didn't put this in the piece, but um, in the pick and roll. Uh, as a pick and roll ball handler, I think he sh- he uh, scored like zero point eight five points per possession, which was like fiftieth percentile. Despite the fact that he shot like forty two percent on those in those situations, or he had an effective field goal percentage of forty two, which you imagine is okay. Well, he just shot a bunch of pull up jumpers in the pick and roll, like off the bounce. Um, so that's kind of the thing. Like that's not a terrible number when you consider he's taking pull up 18 footers off the pick and roll, but then you look and you say, well, 0.85 points per possession is not good. So he, it just kind of shows that he's not necessarily a guy that is going to get to the rim or get a lot of free throw attempts. He's not going to be a guy that can maybe be high volume from three. So the Mavericks need to kind of work on that and balance that and make sure they're getting the good without as much as the bad. Right. Right. And, and, just to kind of keep the train moving because this podcast has some flow to it for once in its uh, life. The next <laughs> question that you had um, was questioning whether Chris Stapps Brzingis can deliver the window of all-star production, which which we saw February to March, and then manage to stay on the court. And before you go off, I, I do want to reference something that you talked about a few minutes ago about you know, the Mavericks unlocked offense with Porzingis playing five. I strongly believe, I have no real reason to back this up, but I strongly believe they want to roll out Porzingis at the five, the same way the Lakers ruled out um, Anthony Davis at the five. Both men are not built for the long haul at that position. doesn't mean you cannot do it. It means doing it for 15 minutes a game, uh, closing in specific situations. But Porzingis is, is just... He he's you know for his age I I st- think he's still really learning his body because watching how he moves it's it's like the Mavericks are trying to you know reteach him athleticism he makes more strange decisions with his body for a person that large than I have ever seen uh, this video of Tracy McGrady doing one legged landings on his three point shots has stuck with me for a real long time Porzingis lands on one leg so much. It frightens me. Um, I'm still very – I waffle day to day. At the moment, I'm in on him as a player, but I'm, I'm just a little concerned because I don't know – you know, he's the archetype of the player that can fit next to, to Luca and succeed, but the man's never finished a season. Like, that's concerning. Yeah. Um, it's, we, it's not great that we're the second season of Przingis and the second consecutive season where he is – rehabbing a knee from a knee surgery uh he still hasn't when was last i don't have the numbers up in front of me but i don't think he's played 70 games in an nba season since uh, i don't know like pre pre acl tear so like at least like two or three seasons ago um maybe even Looking before that. that yeah uh it hasn't been it it hasn't been a lot uh because he, he played ACL. it once his rookie year yeah okay and that's that's not that's not great President um, Trump wasn't a thing yet, so yeah. that's how long ago that was. That's yeah, that's concerning. Um, I think the thing that's at least nice is whereas last year we were like, 
we were kind of hoping like what is he going to look like when he gets back and i think this season we know when he gets back we know what he's capable of now after what like what you talked about what he did in february and march after pal went down and what he did in the bubble and what he did in the playoffs and the limited games he got so i'm not necessarily now concerned about he can be reach the potential player he could be in terms of like raw production like I, he has that i think he's bought in enough into what the Mavericks want to do because to you know his shot diet is radically different in Dallas than it was in New York and when you're a player like that that gets bad habits uh in a bad situation it can be hard to wean young guys off of that um especially coming into a new team with a lot of structure and a guy that's already number one in the hierarchy list like it, it's kind of wild when you think of how much he was going through last season in terms of adjustments. Uh, and it really explains kind of why he got off that slow start. So the fact that they're kind of through all that and that he can produce with Luca on the floor at the same time uh, at like all-star level production, like giving them the, the set, like he needs to be that scoring second star next to Luca. Like that makes me feel a little bit more at ease, but now it's just all down to, okay, can he, can he do it without missing 15 games or 20 games or can he do it uh finishing a playoff series and not being sidelined for an entire playoff series you know toward the end of a playoff series so and that's the question like i can't i can't really answer that i'm you know i'm not talking to trainers i'm not sure. talking to you know so it's kind of it, it's just it's a mystery box in terms of what to expect in that part of the, in, in that regard so I, i'm hopeful that the mavericks uh you know, they know what they're doing. You know, their their training staff and medical staff has been, to me, like the rock of the organization for the last, uh, in the Cuban era, I think, like in terms of like track record, like their track record is really great uh, with mm-hmm. Keith Smith as the head athletic trainer. So I trust that group. So we'll see. Uh, I just don't know what else to say other than I'm, I'm glad that they got, they unlocked uh, his game uh, toward the end of last season. And now it's just, stay on the court and do whatever they can do to, to make that happen. Right. Right. And it's balancing the Luca usage and the Porzingis usage. Yes. Something that I would be very interested in. Maybe I should assign this to somebody. Cause I'm not sure if I, I'm certainly not the person to write it, but the Mavericks played, they essentially got off to, I think it was a 16 and six start to start the, the last season. And then things kind of started to implode mainly injury related. I'd be curious to know what let's just say following the the Powell injury forward with Luca and KP on the floor at the same time how they played because they really didn't get that much time together even in the playoffs they didn't get that much time together and I feel like their record together as a team like when the Mavericks had both of them together I feel like the Mavericks won like 60 plus percent of their games now that that might have only been like 42 games last season so that kind of is what it is but (laughs) I'd just be curious what his what Porzingis's numbers were because that that's what the ideal is is these guys playing together not playing apart you know they probably are going to play apart just because the way the season is going but it's it's the sort of thing that I'm I'm interested in to see if there's if there's something if there's something there which is interesting because that actually leads us into uh one of the final questions that we have uh from you is what in the world does luca in year three look like now before i let you go off and talk about this i want to read you some numbers uh in six playoff games luca played 36 minutes per game (laughs) he shot 500 or he shot 50 percent from the floor 
He hit 36% of his threes, uh, 57% of his two-point shots, a lot of which were at the rim. He got to the line almost 11 times. Uh, he was pretty putrid, only shot 66%. Uh, the sample size is what it is. Nine rebounds, or almost 10 rebounds, just under nine assists, uh, five turnovers, 31 points a game. I have this interesting take that Luca of the playoffs is kind of year three Luca because the gap between when the season closed down in March and when the bubble opened up is is was just as long as any off season. They've only, they're only going to have been off like ninety something days by the time the season starts. So I just what year three Luca looks like. I think the top end of the range is what we saw in the playoffs there. Yeah, I can't disagree. Uh, and especially, I would hope that that three-point shooting number, if he could get, what what did you say that was? What did he get? 36%? 36.4. I mean, he had one game. Some of it's sample size. But he yeah, I think he had one he really went game. Nuts. Yeah. yeah. Um, but still, if we, if <laughs> I would run, I would run with that number if someone was like, I'll give sure. you, I'll give you that number for Luca three points right now. Will you take it? I would, I would scream at that number. Uh, and if he does that, I mean. He's gonna <laughs> if he gets that three point shot up to like thirty five percent, he's gonna be like a 30, 31, 32 point per game scorer, I think, right? Yeah. Unless unless the free, they just he, yeah. the free throws, if the free throws go up to from like I think he was in twenty of the stats page, what's wrong with me? Um he was seventy six percent in the regular season. If he can get that up to eighty percent, and really, it's it's his free throws come in bunches. They come in the first quarter and in the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, he was below seventy percent for free throw mm-hmm. shooting again. Um, it's it's very interesting to me because I've I've long held that Luca's the key to Luca's game is his physical fitness, and it's not that he's out of shape. It's just becoming NBA level shape where your body is able to recover uh, and not lose weight. And not, you know, to deal with the injuries like that's almost as big a challenge as like being cardiovascularly in shape. So that's almost where I see Luca, you know, succeeding this year. And I have a weird feeling just because there's been nothing to do that he might come into the season and, and like really strong, like just rearing to go. I don't know. I could be wrong. No, no. I, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, that's kind of what happened in year two. He just got shot out of a gun after his rookie season. Um, I think the big number that I can't imagine, I mean, it can't get any worse. He was in the, I put this in the piece. He was seven of 41 from three in the clutch at 17%. <laughs> um, there is no way he will do less than that. And there's, I just cannot imagine that it'll be in that same range. So if he gets that up to like a normal, even if it's still bad, if it's just like a normal bad number and not like, holy hell, catastrophic, uh, end-of-the-world type number. I mean, that's going to help a lot uh, as well. And, Kirk, I don't know if you've been – I mean, it's really funny because after every game the Mavericks would lose last season uh, in the clutch, he would immediately talk about how he'd be pissed off at his shot selection and not being able to shoot well. And then in training camp so far in his media day thing, uh, someone asked him, like, his biggest biggest work of the offseason – and it was he basically was just like shooting. I've just been shooting. I've been shooting so much. Uh, so he got funny. that shooting machine that you and I had in high school. Um, 
and like was taking pictures with it and like you and i were not in high school recently so like that picture in slovenia like cracked me up it's like here's the thing that shoots the like the ball back to you and i'm like welcome did this did this technology just make it across the ocean like what <laughs> yeah. what is happening here is it just made me laugh because you know it's it really is about muscle memory and he has such it's like he he's such a basketball savant that when things come too easy, sometimes those the hardest things to work on are the ones that take the like the slightest adjustments. And I, I, I just he's he's such a worker. Mm-hmm. I, I can't I, my brain tells me it's not possible for him to get any better. Then he got so much better. It was impossible for my brain to grasp that. So I, I don't I just I don't know what to expect. I'm really excited. That's that's one thing I, I'm really looking for. I think that this team will, if if they can convince him to stop talking to the refs and get back on defense, like that's going to improve their defensive rating by like one full spot. Yes, it's um, <laughs> like everyone's sorry. Like I saw Bobby post something about their fast break points, and I'm like, most of the fast break points they gave up is because Luca wouldn't get back. Like this <laughs> is not that that difficult. Anyhow. Yeah, and yeah, hopefully um, that gets better. And then I guess the other thing we have to, I mean, this is not the fun part, but I hope it's not a trend, but he only played, you know, he played 72 games his rookie season uh, and he only played 61 games last season. And he seems to be, he seems like his athleticism is funny because his, his strength and his balance uh, like kind of lets him avoid catastrophic injuries, knock on wood, knock on wood, knock on wood. Uh there's been like sports science studies done on, on Luca and just the way he is in control of his body. Um, he just avoids those really bad injuries, but he also seems to be really prone to picking up like just the typical bumps and bruises and ankle sprains and wrist sprains and sore hips and, and that kind of stuff. So uh, I would love to see if Luca can get through this season. You know, I would love to see him. I mean, I don't know if, if it's possible because they probably will rest him, uh, but I, I don't know if he'll, you know, how into that he'll be, but it's probably, it won't be his choice, but if he can get through this season with a career high games out, you know, as long, you know, counting, factoring in, if he gets rested when he's healthy, you know, um, that would be, that, that would be just really nice to see. Cause, cause last season really stunk with those two ankle sprains and then he sprained his ankle again in the playoffs. And it's like, does he have Dirk ankles? Like, what's going? What's going on? Well, I, I was just actually thinking about that, and and some of it makes me wonder. Like, the parallels there would be kind of funny uh, because be. that really was a bane in the early part mm-hmm. of Dirk's career, and then it just stopped being a problem. Yeah. Um, or, or he would sprain it, and he would come back in and finish the half, and, mm-hmm. and not miss any time. Right, and that that sort of stuff's pretty incredible in retrospect. Um, the last question that you have out, which is just. It's one of these things that get the people that that are visit our site the most the most riled up, and I don't understand why. <laughs> um, can the Mavericks role players do it again? And I'm going to defend you a little bit here, guys. Okay. Role players are role players for a reason. Doesn't mean they can't do it again. It means that expecting them to do it again is bold. Now, I for one think that some of these guys in reduced roles may go back to being better players. Dwight Powell coming off the bench actually excites me. Um, Maxi getting to play spot minutes as starter, as opposed to being the starter is likely better for him. Uh, there's some real, there's some real plus things going. I, I think the one guy I'm really interested in seeing is how Dorian Finney Smith responds to, to the opportunity to have sustained success. What do you think? 
Yeah, and also, I mean, you talked about scaling back the roles. Well, congratulations, Dorian Finney-Smith. You are no longer required to be the only Mavericks wing <laughs> defender on the roster. Uh, so, hallelujah, you do not have to play 40 minutes every single close game because there's literally no one else that the Mavericks can play. Uh, so, you would think, you know, hell, you know, even if his, you know, if we, if you try to do math and you factor in, okay, maybe he's going to regress a little bit from three. But hey, what if he doesn't have such a huge burden on defense? Does that give him? Does that mean he's not as tired? You know, like uh, right. you're trying to do the weird give or take there. Like, does that mean his three point shot will actually be be just as good? Uh, who knows how that actually works? I don't. I don't know. But uh, I'm excited that you know we, we don't have to pretend that Tim Hardaway Jr. is a quality three and D wing anymore. Like he can just be the guy that shoots three pointers uh, and everyone, you know, Richardson and Finney Smith and eventually Josh Green and Wes Undu can, can be the defenders and we don't have to pretend that Tim Hardaway Jr. is this like really solid defender anymore. So, I mean, if anything, like it should help all these guys uh, and they shouldn't have as much pressure to repeat, even though you know, they still kind of need to do it. There, there's an expectation now, you know, the Mavericks, believed in in these guys by keeping them around for this through the rebuild and now that they're here so there's you know there's an expectation level it's now no longer oh i hope they can do this it's now this is your job like you gotta do it yeah yeah well i'm trying to think there's a lot of other stuff that we probably should get to but considering that there's you know there's x number of days we're probably going to talk a few more times uh we have a lot of of written content coming we have season we have basically player previews coming and you know thankful to our hardworking staff i'm we have basically one a day every day until the season begins on the 23rd of december is is essentially what we have coming so that will be you know kind of day-to-day content we will have uh more podcasts we will have some in-depth articles because there's some things i know that are coming um we should have a tyrell terry exclusive that was on the radar. Um, our man, our man, Mike pitched me a piece today about Josh Green that I, I really hope he he does. I, there's just there's a this is kind of the the I, I I waffle about the the preseason content because a lot of stuff just goes out the door once they actually start like start playing. But it, it's it's there's <laughs> enough fun stuff with this team because they cycled in so many new guys that I really think there's a lot of like untapped things to talk about and you know preseason frankly i mean there's a preseason game on saturday like we have we have stuff we're, gonna, time. Be, we're gonna be talking about so yeah yeah okay well this has been fun do you have anything else before we go no i don't think so i'm just it's it's time man preseason yeah, on saturday uh i'm looking forward to it i am too all right this has been uh, kirk henderson and josh bow with mavs Moneyball after dark as always please go rate and subscribe tell your friends the podcast is somehow growing and i have to think it's because of people like you who are listening as always we love uh feedback even when that feedback is uh you know awesome one word comments on things where it's like simply put kp's health is all that matters and it's like thanks for that 3500 word analysis down the tubes um uh this has been uh, kirk and josh so we'll see you guys out there have a good week Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.